uh, family member with the blood of Jesus, that we will not get any backlashes from this prayer. Father, give us and our seed wisdom Mm -hmm. and divine favor, as well as direction for each day and minute. Open doors of favor for this ministry and the overseer. Continue to bless him and the ministry in the mighty name of Jesus. Now, Father, prepare our hearts and minds to receive your rhema word on this morning. And, Father, we just thank you for blessing your servant, for giving us the right now word that we need. We might not think it is the right word, but, God, you know it is. And, yeah, God, we yeah, just yeah. give you all the praise yes. and honor. Our yes, soul yes. love you, and we want to please you. Keep yes, us Lord. and our yes, feet under Hallelujah. your blood. In Jesus' yes, name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus, the Father God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. The conference has been muted. Good morning, everyone. Um, uh, before we get started, I'm thinking to myself, like, uh, you know, and I want to get uh, your, your thoughts as well, um, that the, the, the prayers of the righteous availeth much. That's what the Bible says, right? But what I'm seeing, like, uh, the, the um, unbelievable amount of, like, uh, the healing and uh, the the miracles that happened um, over the last couple of weeks. So when I look back at them to see how God has blessed and anointed the the words coming out uh, of the mouth of of the saints praying for somebody has has turned the lives around for many. So in the next couple of weeks, you know, and starting within the next week and moving forward, I want to take like a first to five, ten minutes to just to have a testimony time where we glorify God for what he has done in our life. And when we look back on the rear view mirror, I know Miss Susan always prays for the favor um, upon my life, right? And, and, and the thing is that what she said and saying is, has actually made a huge difference this week in my life. When, when I wanted to buy a, a, a house, you know, sell a house and buy a house, there was a grace, there was a favor of God in every step that I was making. And that's because every single time when Miss Susan was praying, she was praying for the favor of God in my life. And I think we need to pray the same prayer over every one of us, that the favor of God, the goodness and mercy of God to follow our life. And this week, earlier this week, I heard from Miss Brenda that her brother's, you know, the cancer cells has shrunk two-thirds of this size. Isn't that amazing? That, you know, it's, it's, it's not something norm. The medical science don't have an answer for it. And 
the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that are just, you know, so amazingly, you know, putting his hands and the robes over his people, even what was considered as a norm is not a norm because the supernatural is involved in our life, right? And, and the thing is that, you know, I, I had the same similar experience with my wife. She was suffering for more than a month and a half. But as this prayer warriors got on their line and got before the throne of grace holding on to the hem of his garment, what was there for more than a month, just like overnight, just vanished from her life. It's because the Bible says the prayer of the righteous availeth much. And we will take time to talk about what God has done. In the line, we have so many that we get like how God has, has healed someone, how God restored life, how God just like gave new meaning to that relationship. We need to glorify God in this place. It's not about us. It is about him and he being lifted up in this place. So we'll take like a, you know, in the beginning, before we even got to spend time in the word, we will go into, you know, glorifying God. Today morning, what we will talk about is, I, I titled this message as, The New Jerusalem is on wheels, like a meals on wheels, right? And so, um, today we will look at the, the New Jerusalem. We started this journey a couple of weeks ago, last weekend, we took a, a detour and went on to the Mother's Day and uh, celebrating the Mother's Day. But before that, if you remember, we talked about the new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. We talked about how we will one day be in the presence of the Holy God. We, we looked at the 10 different evidences that we see uh, of like what that life is going to look like, how our body will be transformed into the new body. We looked at how our age will be an universal age. We will not age any further. We will be in a place where it's not going to be like a clouds and a mystical um, angels uh, flying over. But instead, we will be working in the new place. We will be eating an amazing food in the new place. We will actually get a chance to see Jesus face to face. In fact, we were talking about like a how we can even go back and talk to someone like a David or, or Abraham or Noah about like how they built their, their ark or how he fought with Goliath, how he was, um, you know, had a battle, David, uh, with the Saul. I mean, all those things we have, uh, we have looked at in the past. Today, we're going to go further down to this new city, New Jerusalem, right? And before we get to that one, many of us know that in Florida, right, there, there is a theme park named Disney World, right? Um, and, and the thing is that in 1965, when Walt Disney bought that place, he actually bought little over 27 
thousand acres. This Disney World that you see there, in acreage, it is over 27,433 acres. It's twice the size of Manhattan, right? And he bought it for an estimated $5.1 million. If you see, or if you get a chance to go to Florida, right, and watch this gigantic theme park, right, there are five parks out there, right, and uh, Animal Kingdom, Magic Kingdom, and so on. But the thing is this. You may say, like, uh, what has that got to do with New Jerusalem, right? Let me tell you, when Walt Disney bought that place, he didn't buy that place, so much of place, to build a theme park. That wasn't his idea. In fact, what Walt Disney wanted to do is create an Epcot. It is an experimental prototype community of tomorrow, right? Epcot is experimental prototype. He wanted to build, it was his dream to build a community of like a, how the future is going to look like, right? He wanted to create in hundreds and hundreds of acres a city that was supposed to be with the future technology, a utopian society, right? He wanted to build how the new trains are going to be like, how the new homes are going to be like, how the future uh, 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 a transformation will happen, right? But the thing is this, he couldn't find enough funding and there were planning difficulties and before too long, the one driving force that wanted to do that, Walt Disney died and so the project got deactivated, right? And then... Uh, the, the board decided to just like a go with a theme park, and that's how they built this theme park over there. But the thing is this, not just Walt Disney that is looking for a, a better place or a futuristic place uh, or something that uh, will look much better than today, right? There's so many movies that are out there that wants to look at like a, what the life will be like in 2025, or 3,000 and so on. Why? Because there is an inborn nature in each and every one of us longing for something better than what is there today. Right? In fact, Walt Disney's grandson says, Epcot was my grandfather's biggest dream. It wasn't the theme park called the Disney World, that was his biggest dream. The city of the future that will point the way to a better future. That's what he called it, a better future. Why are these people so inclined to look for something better than tomorrow, I mean today? It's because each of these men and women in the natural are, are homesick to find the Garden of Eden, 
that was originally built. They are thinking that technology can get them over there. Their, their con- the content that they can come up with can get them over to this happy place. But God says, I have a plan for that. And I have a plan where I have actually unveiled for you uh, about like what that future is going to look like. Don't worry about building something because I am doing that job for you. And that's why today morning, we're going to go to Revelation chapter 21. We started on this. This is where we were lingering two weekends ago. So if you get a chance, I want you to sit back, relax, have your note, uh, if you're taking notes, and turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to read from verses 1 through 8 in Revelation 21 from New King James Version. The Bible says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. In fact, Second Peter says it was all burned down. New, new things were brought into place. And there was no sea, no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God. The tabernacle of God here represents the presence of God, the very uh, nature of God that was there in the Holy of Holies, that was sitting on the mercy seat, is coming down, right? And... uh, The Bible says, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, we should put, and women, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their gods. And the God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all the liars, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is their second death. Praise the Lord. 
And, and the biggest thing that Jesus talks about comes right after this. He's been explaining about how he's building everything, and he's talking about the new earth, the new Jerusalem, right after this. And he's saying uh, how that new Jerusalem is going to be. And, and he says, come, in the ninth verse, he says, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife, right? And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light was like a precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as a crystal. And she had a great and a high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gate. And the name written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. And it goes on to talk about how big the city was, uh, the city is going to be, and what's going to be the colors. We looked at some of these things, and, and the glory of the New Jerusalem in the last section is there. In, in verses 22 to 27, it's talking about, then, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the lamp are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The lamp is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. The, its gates shall not be shut at all by day, there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nation into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Praise the Lord. What I really like about these verses, you know, there are a lot of symbolism in there. I wanted to actually take a few minutes because people say that reading the book of Revelation is literally very hard because there's so many symbolism in the book of Revelation. Some, sometimes people say they have like a trouble reading Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, because there are too many symbols. Uh, it, 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 it's talking about the lamb having seven heads. Uh, is Jesus going to have seven heads? Or, or it's talking about the wings, like the 12 wings, two on the right side, two on the left side. I mean, there's so many symbolism, right? And my, my thought process this morning 
is that we should actually look at how do we read the Word of God first. Because there's such a, a clear distinction that, you know, that is there when we read the Word of God. I, I just uh, uh, had a chance to, to, to look at the, uh, uh, the approach uh, of like a, how we can uh, go after this word, right? And, uh, and uh, the re- uh, rabbis uh, in, in the Judaism uh, and their way of like how they read the Torah, um, it, it's just like they were so um, short-minded in so many ways. Um, I know that Jesus had to go to the cross and uh, he has to die for the remission of sins so that uh, we get access to the heaven. There's no question about it. But in those days, the rabbis could not get over the literal meaning of what Jesus said. Right? And so there is a, there is a, uh, a study of like a how we need to go uh, and uh, look at the Word of God. There are four approaches to looking at the Word of God. And uh, it's, uh, it's called pod, pardes, pardes, or approaches, right? And somebody has taken that acronym, P-R-D-S, pardes, you know, they just took the A and E out of it and put like a PRDS as a, as a way to get into the Word of God. Peshat. P is like a Peshat. Uh, and it's like a straight surface, literal meaning. The, these Jewish scholars at that point, they took the literal meaning of what Jesus was saying when he said in three days, I will rebuild, destroy the temple, I will raise in three days, right? And when they heard it, they thought it was a blasphemy. They were not just like going beyond that words that Jesus said and what what Jesus meant. Uh, And they did not see the symbolism behind it. And so one of the main reasons that they took it before the court to crucify Jesus from a humanistic term was this very sentence that Jesus said, destroy the temple, I will raise in three days. That was, that was their beef. That was their issue, that they considered the temple as a holy place where God dwelled, and they were not able to get themselves out of the, the, the sanctuary that was there. And they were thinking, it took us thousands of years to get to this point. And this guy is saying he's going to destroy and rebuild in three days. And he, they, they were not able to get out of the fact that Jesus is talking about himself and he as a temple. But instead, they were equating the temple to the temple built by Solomon. They were equating the temple to the temple built by the Ezra's and the second temple that was built in the days of like, you know, um, 
that that uh, exile that came back out of exile how the guys like Nehemiah built a wall and then Ezra of the wall came to build a temple that they were not able to get out of that fact right and so they took a literal meaning and turned it into like a, a court case to kill Jesus and then, of course there was a one more bad PR that you know Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, you know. So those were the only two reasons why they went after Jesus to kill and destroy him, right? Because they were not able to get out of Peshat, the straight, literal meaning, right? And sometimes I believe that the Western church is stuck in this place as well, just like the Jewish leaders who were doing a literal interpretation of the word than going deeper into the word. And so when you are reading the word, don't get stuck with the Peshat. Don't get stuck with what it literally says in the open text. Sometimes we even ourselves get like into a, a, a small portion of the word and we just like apply it to our life without reading what is there in the beginning before that verse and after the verse because we we feel that one sentence that's right in the middle is just like a making us feel good and we are not able to go beyond that and that's what peshat means p-e-s-h-a-t right the second level of like a reading the word is called remez remez is like a looking for the hints, looking for the symbolism in the word, looking for the meaning beyond the literal sense. And in the theological term, they're talking about allegorical meaning of, of this word. And there are like a hints left from the life of Esther about this, this redemption, from the life of Ruth, for for just like a, there is a there is a path that we can actually see Christ from the life of Ruth and Jonah and Samson growing this long hair where the mom never let his hair be cut. There are a lot of symbolism attached to it, and we need to go from just looking from a straight surface. And it's very important when we read the book like a Revelation to look for hints. When God is talking to the seven churches in the beginning of Revelation, where he is talking about each of those seven churches and the love church and the faithful church, the persecuted church, and so on, those seven churches does not mean it is the ones in Sardis and ones in, in Ephesus and so on, but it is a symbolicism. It is an attribute of the church. We can take those seven churches and go today to the, the churches uh, that exist and just to see where in these seven categories these churches will fall into. Remez. We need to, when we read the word, we should go beyond the literal meaning of the word into looking at the hints that God is saying that, that just gives the uh, way 
for us to look beyond. It's almost like watching the, some of these movies where when the curtain is removed, you can actually see what did Jesus mean? What did God mean here when he told this to Paul, when he told this to Abraham, right? So romance is to look for hints in the word and we should apply. Then the third kind is called derash, right? Derash means we need to start to inquire God and do some comparative studies, the similar occurrences, the, the meaning for a metamorphical, you know, things that are there. Sometimes God just like gives certain views, certain visions to the people like John and Daniel and Ezekiel and all these prophets that got like a vision, visions, and those visions look alike. But unless we understand what that vision means, we may not be able to understand. So we need to dig deeper into the word and ask God to, you know, when you see a similar occurrences, then we need to look at all those occurrences to see how they are compared with each other. What is God saying? For example, in the book of Revelation, the word heaven comes 50 times. 50 times, right? And each time the heaven is explained in there has something that John could grasp out of what God is trying to say. First, when he talks about the heaven, the throne room in chapter 4 of Revelation, he gives a certain view of that place, right? The throne room. But when, he, when you come to the chapter 21, he gives another view because our human minds can only take so much. The explanations cannot go beyond what our minds can think. And so when you see something that happens more than once, something that God is explaining more than once, take those two verses and you compare and contrast to see what is God trying to prove here or say, because if he has already told this once to Ezekiel, why is he saying again to Peter? Why is he again saying to Paul? Why is he again saying? Because the human minds can only grasp so much. God's mind is so vast and he can explain so many things, but we need that kind of like, you know, we don't have that kind of a mind to translate them, right? So we talked about Parash. We talked about Rames, Peshat, Peshat, Rames, and Derash, right? And then the last one is Sod, S-O-D, right? And, and, and this is the mystery that God just like a leaves, like a hidden treasures, right? And, and the word Mysterion, right, uh, uh, appears 27 times. In the New Testament, it, these are hidden treasures. We need to go look for these hidden treasures. We need to ask God to open and reveal and inspire and ask him to just like open the door so I can actually, God, I just want to soak myself in here. I still don't understand what it means. And God will answer your question and my question. In fact, Jesus, when he preached, 
majority of his preaching stayed in the space as parables. It, it was not a literal teaching. It was like something that he was just like a throwing because he wanted people to just go grab and just to go just like a soak themselves, ask God, not leave the word. This morning, I'm asking you, when you get a chance to read the words, are you just like a, looking at a plain text and just like a read it or you want to go further down to that and look for what God is talking about and, and the hints that he is giving and then he and we need to go when we read the word we need to see what God is saying because just reading one text about one thing will not explain that's why the gospels that are existing as four different texts from four different people just talking about the same incident because they all looked at it, but they all looked at it from their own lens. And God is saying you need to have a 360-degree view when it comes to all the things that I'm talking about. And sometimes the word is not clear. In fact, the 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 elders and the the patriarchs and the and the and the people who study the word, like uh, Reverend Billy Graham, would go into their backyard and cry, "God, I don't understand. This is too much. Oh God, I cannot fathom. I cannot interpret this word." And God will listen and explain it to us the hidden things. Why is this important? Because Today morning, we are talking about something. God is talking to us in, in some of these places when he is talking about New Jerusalem. He's giving some hints about the New Jerusalem. We cannot literally take some of these things and apply. And in cases like where he's talking about the, 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 this length and breadth and the cubes and the height and all those things. It is something that we need to compare ourselves from Revelation 21 to Ezekiel 36 to 48 because exactly the same thing is explained over there as well. And they both are very alike, but God is explaining something more. When we do the comparative study between these two things, then we will try to understand a little bit more about this word. And then, you know, when you look at this New Jerusalem, here's the thing. The New Jerusalem, the content of New Jerusalem has been there for over 2,000 years. But then in 1947, when Bedouin men, there was like a group of men, that were herding goats in the hills on the west side of the Dead Sea, they ran into a cave called Wadi Qumran Qumran, Qumran in the West Bank. They, they stumbled into a clay jar, right? And it was filled with some leather scrolls. And uh, there were multiple caves, like at least 10 more caves that they discovered the decades worth of content, tens and thousands and fragments of material that they were able to find, and they discovered more in detail about New Jerusalem. And those words that they were able to find during the Dead Sea Scroll, 
matched to what was written and available in Ezekiel chapter 40 to 48. What they found in that sea scroll was matching to what was found in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. The comparative study that was done by these people linked to everything. This God that we are talking about has already got the plan in place. That's my point. The number one point I want to make is that God has a plan and he's trying to explain it and we need to grasp the content of what he's trying to explain. Right? Number two, that this enormous city is coming from heaven, right? This, this new earth or new Jerusalem that he's talking about, it's converging like heaven and earth are converging. What, that, what do you mean, Zero? John go, the, the, is, is giving such a big description of this place called New Jerusalem. We see that in multiple places in Revelation. We see that in Revelation chapter 4. We see that uh, here in Revelation chapter 21. When, when you get a chance today, I want you to take time to read the chapter 21 in just like a, go slow in reading this chapter 21. There's so much of content is sitting on this chapter, right? Like it's talking about the Garden of Eden. It's talking about the Paradise Garden. It's talking about rivers. It's talking about the shape of this new heaven, uh, the new Jerusalem as a square. It's talking about the walls that we saw the, that even this morning and a couple of weeks ago. It's talking about the tree of life, right? But the most critical thing that, that we are seeing or gleaming out of reading chapter 21 is this. The New Jerusalem is an ultimate answer to the prayers prayed millions of times throughout the church history, the Lord's Prayer. It says, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth. Someday on earth, right? We are praying every single time when we pray the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? And we saw even in the visions of Daniel, right? He says in chapter 7 of Daniel, I kept looking in the night visions. This is what Daniel is saying, chapter 7, right? Behold, with the clouds of heaven, the clouds here represents the people. There's like a, a massive number of people, right, in heaven. One like a son of man, was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given the dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and the men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Exactly the same things that Jesus preached throughout his journey 
about the kingdom of heaven. That kingdom of heaven that he was talking about is the kingdom that would come down. The 40 days after his ascension, he talked about only one thing, that is the kingdom of God. He preached about the coming kingdom. He preached on this invisible realm becoming visible as a new city comes down. Right? At the end of all these scriptures in this chapter 21 and 22, God is revealing that his kingdom is going to come down. His will will be executed on earth just like it is now down, done in heaven. The heaven and earth are just going to be converged. And more importantly, the third point that I want to say is this. When we read it, first thing, God has given a lot of hints about the, the new heaven and new Jerusalem. Right? The second thing is that God is so particular that the old one will be gone. The current heaven will be gone. The current earth will be gone. And there is going to be a new earth. What is this new earth? The, the, the new Jerusalem that God is talking about is this. It is the same earth that he actually formed in Genesis. In the first few chapters of the Genesis, where he has formed this earth, is going to be reestablished when we get to the end. Because this is what he had in his mind from the beginning. The new earth is nothing but the earth that he originally created. Right? But here is the assurance for you and me this morning. The assurance for you and me is, is that the, we will see him by faith. That's what Revelation 22.4 says. And his name will be on our foreheads. Right? God is talking about not only creating this new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, but instead he is saying, my plan is to repopulate this new Jerusalem with the people who would look and love each other like a how he loves you and me. He's asking, or in this case, he's revealing to us about how our future state, the transfigured state, will look like. Each and every one of us will be shining just as the Lord created Adam and Eve originally in the Garden of Eden. Right? And, and the new translation, or the, 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 there's a translation um, called the Passion Translation, TPT, says at that time when, when this whole thing happens, right, we will be drawn freely and boldly to where grace is enthroned. In other words, the New King James Version says that we will be boldly standing before the throne of grace. Right? And that's the that's the idea that God has for you and me. That, that we that are loved by Him will be taken into that place to live with Him for eternity. This new Jerusalem that Jesus is talking about in the book of Revelation has everything set up. The infrastructure is going to be there. But the people who live in that place will be the ones that has his name imprinted on their foreheads. 
that's none but you and me. And I was reading through to see, like, uh, you know, what are some of the new, uh, I mean, unique features of, of this place. And it's talking about the tree of life that grows in the middle of the street. And it's talking about the pure gold. Uh, the streets will be, the street of the city is made of pure gold, right? It's talking about like a, how there will be no temple in this place because God himself will be the, the place and point of worship. There will be no sea. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. But Revelation 21, 1 says, uh, even though there will be no sea, but the water of life will flow from the middle of the great street. There will be no light, no night, sorry. The night will no longer be there. All this is explained in, the, in, this, in this book. Uh, and read chapter 21 and 22 when you get a chance of book of Revelation. I'm hoping and praying that God will reveal to you a lot more than what we are studying or meditating here. And if you're done with the 21 and 22, I want, once you read and consume and soak yourself in those two chapters, then you go to the book of Ezekiel and read from 36 to 48. And when you soak that book, then you go back to Daniel chapter 7. Because if you go to Daniel 7 first or Ezekiel first, you may get lost in the details. You want to get like a full picture first and then reverse yourself back, right? So I was thinking to myself, this is where I struggled this morning. I was saying to God, God, all these are good information. This heaven is a good information. New Jerusalem is a good information. All the things that you're talking about in these chapters are good. But God, I, I want to know what is in for the guys who are listening to it this morning? What is in for me? I know you have already built all this. I know this is the climax of the movie that we are going to have. But God, what is that that I'm going to glean out of this today? What is the sod of this chapter? What is that? I, 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 I don't understand, God. This, you know, this revelation is good, but how do I just like a, consume it, right? And God revealed something, uh, and it is actually well explained uh, in, in a, uh, a book called Heavenly Mindedness by Randy Alcon, right? And he says, if you lack a passion for heaven, I can almost guarantee it is because you have a deficient and distorted theology of heaven. Isn't that amazing? And he says, you are making a choice that conflicts with heaven's agenda. An accurate and a biblically energized view of heaven will bring a new spiritual passion to your life. When you fix your mind on heaven and see the present in the light of eternity, even little choices become tremendously important. After death, we will never have another chance to share Christ with the one who can be saved from hell because everybody is in heaven right now. 
There won't be, after death, a chance to give a cup of water to the thirsty. When we get to heaven, we will not have a chance to invest to help the helpless and reach the lost. When we get to heaven, we don't have to share our homes because every one of us will have a room for ourselves and clothing that doesn't need to be changed. And we don't need to love the poor and the needy. Right? The, 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 the scripture is just so clear that one central business of this life is to prepare for the next. What we need is a generation of heavenly-minded people who see human beings and the earth not simply as they are, but as God intends them to be. This is what is written in this book called The Heavenly-Mindedness. And it is just so appropriate. We need to have a passion to study about the heavens. We need to be energized every day to know that we are going to a place where God has everything set for us. Uh, You don't need to apply for a job. You don't need to worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat. You're not going to be in that place and expect that somebody is going to hurt you because there is not going to be a cry in that place. There is no place for defilement is what the Bible says. You are going to be in a place where you are going to be undisturbed by your lifestyle. It's going to be something you're just going to cherish and enjoy. You have enough things to do, but you won't be having a quarrel with somebody else. My prayer is that you are energized today studying about this chapter 21 and 22. The second thing, as I was just like approving, and I was asking God, I know the climax is written. I know that this Christ is the end all for this one. I read so many places that heaven is a God's home, earth is our home, and Christ will bring heaven and earth together. I've read about this God, but I'm still not convinced. How is this useful for someone who's listening to it this morning? So I just had an imaginary town hall. Uh, this morning, and uh, invited three, uh, four people actually, and asked them, what is the guarantee that we will be in New Jerusalem? What is the guarantee that Miss Sarah, Miss Fred Lee, Miss Barbara, you know, Vince and Brenda and Katina, what is the guarantee, God, that Cyril and all of these people listening is going to be in New Jerusalem, right? And the first guest that I asked was Jesus. And Jesus said, go back to John 14 too. I've already explained this. In my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. In fact, read that chapter so well, uh, so much, that I've explained it the night before I went to the cross. I gave such a deep explanation of like a how I have prepared this place for you. And in fact, the place that I talked about has houses, rooms, places, 
And it describes it tangibly a place. It's not something that's mystical. And he said, go to that place and read that verses one more time. You will understand that you are already in the plan that, I've all, uh, that I have for you. Just like uh, what Jeremiah says, he has a plan. And in the plan, you and I are there, right? The second guest is Paul. And I asked Paul, what is the guarantee that we will be there in New Jerusalem? And he says, go back to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 10. He said that that's the climax that you need to be clearly understood. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he's talking about, and everything is done, when you push to chapter 21 of Revelation, the white throne judgment is done. The thousand years of like a, a peaceful time is done. The, that the enemy is already put into the bottomless pit. God is done with all of those things. The seven bowls are, are, are poured. The wrath is done. The white throne judgment is done. When everything is done, the fullness of time, that's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 1. Right, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Right? Paul is saying, at the end of time, God will gather everyone, everything that is out there in both heaven and earth that were with Christ. He will gather them together, the one that will be in the new heaven, right? There is no way that we as humans can pull together. That's what Hinduism is talking about, that you can go to mukti and salvation, and you can actually work your way to heaven. And Warren Buffett says he can pay his way to heaven. And all these things are happening around us, but God says the only way, There is only one street in heaven, and that street in heaven leads to only one thing that can redeem the mankind, and that is Christ. And if you are in Christ, then you will be gathered in New Jerusalem. And the third guest that I asked is John the Baptist. I said, you know, you have been one of the, uh, and uh, uh, John, Baptist, John the Baptist, uh, and also um, the John, the one that uh, Jesus loved, right? They both were there, and I was asking, what is the guarantee? And the John, the disciple, who wrote the book of Revelation said, my goodness, I had the same fear. I had the same fear. In fact, I was crying. Go ahead and read Revelation chapter 5, verses 4 through 7. This is exactly my dilemma, whether my name is going to be there or somebody is going to recognize me in heaven. And so I went to Revelation chapter 5, and it says, I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. John, the, the lovable, or the one that Jesus loves, 
in the when he was writing it he says i was so worried because i don't know whether anyone will recognize my name there is a book there is a scroll out there that has uh, 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 my name written on it it's the lamb's book of life right but if someone doesn't read my name it's like uh, your name is not on the reservation for you to come in man i am doomed right but then the verse 5 says one of the elders said to me do not weep behold the lion of the tribe of judah the root of david has prevailed to open the scroll and to lose its seven seals and i looked behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of god sent out into all the earth and he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne there is a hope of a redemption that's what john is saying that we have a citizenship in heaven in this new jerusalem that has been already established and our names are written in the lamb's book of life when we give our life to christ and the fourth guy that i asked was peter and peter says you know don't ask me how and whether your name's going to be written in the book of life but instead what do you need to do now and it says in second peter chapter 3 verses 10 to 13 but but the day of the lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat both earth and the works that are in it will be burned up therefore since all these things will be dissolved what manner of person ought you to be in the holy conduct that's what he's saying while you're waiting for your heaven be of good conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of god because of which the heavens will be dissolved begin being on fire and the elements will melt with a fervent heat nevertheless we according to the promise look for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells and this is how i'm going to wrap up this morning this is from that same book the heavenly mindedness by randy alcon he says anticipating the eternal joy of his presence allows us to get a head start on heaven by rejoicing in him here and now longing for the new earth the home of righteousness that peter is talking about in second peter right to keep us spotless blameless and at peace with him those are the three things that peter is talking about in second peter chapter 3 we need to be spotless we need to be blameless and need to be peace with him knowing that our destiny is to live as a righteous people on a redeemed righteous earth with the righteous redeemer 
it has to be a very powerful incentive for us to be living this life with passion. We don't need to worry about what is going around us today. None of these pandemic stuff will have an impact on your life. Why? Because the lamp of God who takes away the sins of the earth was slain on the rugged cross and the blood of this unblemished lamp is posted on the doorpost of your house. That's the assurance that you and I are going to be protected and this pandemic has no impact on your life and my life. When we live this life with such hope, when we live this life with such passion, the people who do wrong things to us means nothing to us. When we look at somebody, we're not going to be taking anything to this new heaven and new earth. God says, I've got everything. You don't need to bring your clothing. You don't need to bring your food. You don't need to bring anything just as you are. I'm going to pick you up and take you to that place. And I'm going to give you a body that's not going to be destroyed anymore. No death can come near you. You're going to be there for eternity. And that should be the, a driving force, an incentive that we should be looking for this day. As we read this chapter, again, I'm going to ask you to read both 21 and 22. It is very simple to understand this verse and that we will glean on to how the new earth, the new heaven is going to look like. Right? As we go through this journey, I want to look at the, you know, the four horsemen and the white throne judgment in the days to come today. This is just like a prelude to all that as we prepare to receive Christ in the air. Just as those four guests were saying that Jesus has gone to prepare a room for you and me. And Paul says, when you come to that place, God's not going to look at your credentials. He's going to look at the Christ who is on you, who is in you. And as Peter says, that there is going to be a time that we are going to be in this place where there is not going to be another death. This whole old things will go away, but just be ready for this part of this invitation is out there. The whole Bible is nothing but a brochure, this long brochure that gives a view into this new heaven and new earth. And just as John says in this, in this whole book of Revelation, he says, like, this is a place where the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords dwells. And you and I are invited to this new Garden of Eden that he is originally prepared and was corrupted. No Epcot can replace what God has built. No Disney's vision is as big and magnificent as what God has for you and me. This morning, as we go into this week, I'm asking you to just like live this life as citizens of heaven because we have an invitation to go to this place. 
Brother Vince. Thank you, Brother Cyril. Thank you. Uh, if you can't get excited about listening to this, I just want to park here and just marinate in what Cyril's been sharing and just in the Word. And it just is, it is bring out the passion. It should in all of us since we're children of God. And, uh, you know, when you said in the beginning, homesick to find the Garden of Eden, that stuck with me in the beginning. And are we homesick to find the Garden of Eden? And Cyril took us back to seminary class, and he took us back to a word called Peshat, the straight and literal meaning of what Jesus is saying, and that we are to use these skills. And then another word was called Remez, the symbolism of the word, and looking for hints. And Derosh, the comparison and contrast of the studies of the Bible, and how our human minds cannot Take, it only takes so much, so we need to compare and contrast. And then lastly, Sod, looking for the hidden treasures in the Word when we read. So thank you, Cyril, for sharing that with us and taking us back to Bible school and the New Jerusalem. How God has prepared this plan that's always in place. It's been in place since the beginning of time when he created the heavens and earth. And now one day, heaven and earth are going to converge as he says in Daniel 7, with the New Jerusalem. And God has given a lot of hints how the same earth that he formed in, Gen in Genesis at the beginning of the creation, that just hit me, hit me so strong today, and how that's already done. But we will see him in faith. And something I've missed all these years is that there will be no need for a sun or moon because his glory will be so bright. If you think about that, that, that one will just take your breath away when you think about the glory of God and how it's going to illuminate everything. What, what, what do we want, what, is, what does God want to reveal to us? As you said, passion for heaven and how we have an accurate biblical energized view to fix our mind on heaven. It should change our daily tasks, our daily mindset, our interactions with others, it really should impact our day-to-day -day living with the heaven mindset. And if we know the end game, the end game is already guaranteed. It's guaranteed a victory. The victory's been won. So shouldn't it change how we live today in light of that victory? It's like you go to a, victory, you go to a game and you know the already outcome. Victory. Celebration, passion. And that's, that's when you hear no more tears, no more fears, no more anxiety, no more death. That's guaranteed. We won. In our, we won. Hallelujah. I, thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, brother. Miss Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus. We bow before you in humility and ask you to examine our hearts today. Show us anything that is not pleasing to you. Reveal any secret pride, any unconfessed sin, rebellion, or unforgiveness that may be hindering our relationship with you. We know that we are your beloved children, having received you in our hearts and lives, and having accepted your death as penalty for our sinfulness. 
the price you paid covers us for all time. And our desire is to live for you. As we take the bread representing your life that was broken for us, we remember and celebrate your faithfulness to us and to all who will receive you. Thank you for your extravagant love and unmerited favor. Thank you that your death gave us life, abundant life now and eternal life forever. We receive this bread in remembrance of you. And in the same way, we take this cup representing your blood poured out from a splinted cross. You are the supreme sacrifice for all of our sin, past, present, and future. Today, we remember and celebrate the precious gift of life you gave us through the blood you spill. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 My, my prayer this morning with uh, what the Brother Vincent said, we need to be homesick. Yes. We need to have the homesick to see uh, the, the Garden of Eden that he has prepared for us, the tree of life that is God, like, a, you know, healing. No more of sickness that's going to be in our bodies. We're going to be in a universal uh, the age and the universal body that we would see each other and talk to each other and not get older, you know? And that kind of an excitement God had the night before when he was crucified. And that's what he was talking about on the night before he was crucified with his uh, disciples. He said that uh, this body is going to be broken into pieces tomorrow when those uh, Soldiers are going to tear this body apart. But don't worry about this body because I'm going to have a, a, a glorified body in me. But don't forget, you are going to have a glorified body as well. As he took the bread and blessed and broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciple, he said, this is my body broken for you. As we take this body, let it remind each and every one of us, the body that we are consuming this morning is, is, is a representation of a glorious body that God has promised you and me. Go ahead and take that bread, a symbol to remember his death and his resurrection. Then he took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God and said, and he gave it to them and said, drink it, for this is a new covenant, a covenant made with the blood, that covenant that I'm going to leave with you is a remembrance, has to be a reminder that this blood that I'm going to shed tomorrow is a reminder not for tomorrow, but for the years to come. That blood is an access, that's a token to go to the eternal life 
No one can take away this covenant that I'm making with you, says the Lord. When we drink it this morning, knowing the fact that this cup is a representation of the blood that he shed on that cross that gives us access to the eternal life. When we remember, that remembrance will make us live today with an anticipation of heaven. Let's drink this cup, this wine, this drink that we have in our hand as we drink and as it goes through our throat into our body, be a remembrance that this is an access to the heavenlies. Yes. Hallelujah. Go ahead and take the drink. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Father, the we come before your throne. Father, we come before your throne of grace this morning. One more time, Father God. Yes, Lord. For energizing our souls this morning, giving us the strength, a renewed energy, new passion, new grace, Father God, to yes. live this day in the hopes of seeing you tomorrow. Live this day, Father God, with the hopes that we would spend our eternity with you, Father God. We pray that uh, this day be blessed uh, and the places that we go, Father God, we become the tree of life where the healing comes. Uh, Father God, the people that we touch, Father God, let your kingdom's righteousness flow through our hands into the bodies that we touch, Father God, that we will become the source of energy, source of comfort, source of like a reconciliation and restoration, Father God, that you will use us as a vessel worthy of your honor. Mm-hmm. Father, we surrender ourselves this morning into your mighty hands. God, you take the glory and honor. Yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Father, for your glory. Amen. 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 Amen and amen. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank Have an amazing morning and amen. a week. And we will see each other very, very soon. Next week, oh, before you leave, uh, keep Proverbs 2 to 6 in your prayers. We are changing something this week. We had a program called Kids to College, which is to prepare kids to go to college. But we are changing that to say kids to career, which means like whatever the career God has planned for, whatever the tree that God has planted in their lives could be a skills to become an electrician, skills to become a mechanic, skills to become a doctor, skills to become a lawyer. We're just going to pray that whatever their career is, we're going to create a, a, a subgroup for each of these children to start preparing for their career. And so this is a journey that we would see like a, the, the leaders of the community or their skill set, like a restaurant owners talk about the culinary and the doctors talk about the medicinal life. So we're going to form a group of professionals that would come and just like lead these kids into their career, right? That has already been in that mountain climbing. So keep that in your prayers as we change and refine this
so that we can see one million children from going into prison. Amen. And we will never stop until we see the million children pick up uh, their pieces together and form their lives together. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You know, Thank you. We're going to see this nation change. We're going to see the nation see the revival that this nation will see the God of this universe the show up in their life and their hopelessness is removed their vulnerability is removed and their shame is wiped and their future is restored as we go before the lord and ask him to open the doors no one can shut amen yes 